I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Dynamics 365 Practice Show. This episode, we chat with Matthew Anderson and talk all things pre-sales and client engagement. Matthew is a technical solutions professional in business applications at Microsoft and helps health and life science organizations evaluate business applications. Prior to that, he's held roles at both Hitachi and Zenitech and also an avid podcaster, speaker and writer. And even though we don't discuss it, I think a musician. To review the show notes for this episode, please go to nz365guide.com forward slash 66. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's good to have you on. Good to have a fellow podcaster on here. Before we kind of get underway, can you perhaps tell me a bit about life, family, where you come from, where you live, that type of thing? Yeah, sounds good. So I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's starting to get to that time of year for me right now where I I really appreciate all the different types of weather that we get, which includes winter and construction is the winter side of it here. <laughs> wow. So so does that mean snow? Yeah, we, we tend to have a fair bit of snow here, but you know, compared to, to other places, it feels like it's it's an awful lot, even what we consider a dusting. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't had any this year, and this will be my first year of living in a country, because I've only been in London a while, that has a legit winter. And so it's going to be interesting for me. So tell me about family, and have you always lived in Minnesota? So I've lived in Minnesota most of my life. My uh, About six months after my wife and I got married about eight years ago, I got a job opportunity in Salt Lake City, where we moved for about a year and moved back to Minnesota after we realized that 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 wasn't the change that we were going to stick with long term. And yeah, so now we have two kids, an almost three-year-old and a six-month-old, and are very, very happy in Minnesota. And my travel schedule, you know, kind of waxes and wanes with the uh, this uh, you know business that we're in. So when I get to be home, it's a, a wonderful thing. And when I'm away, I certainly miss them. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so when you say travel, kind of is it just the U.S. you're traveling, or you know, interstate, or or does it does your role kind of take you more further afield? Yeah. So in previous roles, I did some international, but at this point, I am mostly upper Midwest U.S., but I I do kind of break out and and cover the entire U.S. to be able to support my team. I'm part of the health life sciences focused business applications team at Microsoft. So I cover you know, anything within the within the country, but, you know, for for, you know, overall coverage, we have people around the around the country to be able to do that. So it means, you know, sometimes you get pockets of travel, but other times I'm just working from home. Okay, so so you've been in Microsoft, what, 11 months now around about? Yeah, that is correct. Okay, okay. So so health and life sciences was that tell me tell me a bit about kind of 
what is you know what are the type of organizations in that space are you know business apps customers yeah absolutely so the the broad categories they fall into are providers so you think you know hospital nursing organizations home health payers so those would be insurance providers you know the the blue cross blue shields of the world and and thereabouts as well as life sciences including pharma and medical devices the you know locally here in in Minnesota from a med device you know Medtronic is a a great great name as far as you know that's concerned and you know I guess locally even going back to the provider side you know places like the Mayo Clinic you know being world renowned as far as healthcare providers Wow, wow, wow. So have you done anything kind of, and just, you know, reaching back into my career here a bit is, have you done anything in the space of where like trials are being conducted? And I was working for one customer for a while where we would spin up a new instance for every time there was a new trial, like a clinical trial. And it was a, just a massive, awesome user case for, for Dynamics, you know, CRM at that time. Uh, do you come across that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Both existing customers as well as an, an upcoming pursuit that I'm working on right now. So, you know, kind of managing the trial, the the patients involved, the the sites involved in the trial, kind of some of the oversight that comes along with that, as well as kind of documenting the, uh, what's happened along the way, making sure you now that uh, that trail of what's what's happened throughout becomes important, you know, to to the validation of the the overall trial. Mm-mm-mm. Excellent, excellent. Tell me about, actually, before we go on to pre-sales and discussing into detail, I'd like to kind of get to know you a bit more and around some of your, your interests, if you like. So can you tell me maybe about blogging, writing, public speaking, Toastmasters, podcasting, mentoring, and game design? Oh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a mouthful. I just thought I'm going to give you plenty to work with there. <laughs> so yeah, I, as as you d- set up very well for me there, I have an awful lot of interests. A lot of it involves kind of a communication to lots of people through a, a variety of different channels. So I've always had a passion for public speaking. So that's one that even at a very young age, I was the the oddball who you would raise their hand and say yes i want to i want to do that thing where i'm i'm speaking in front of the the large group of people that i don't know <laughs> or do know so that you know that translated you know very well into a conversational tone in the the blogging that i would do so i've done a lot of blogging you know early on it was kind of a, a personal blog but it transitioned about a decade ago into professional blogging around you know interests around Mostly technology and leadership are the the areas that most of my stuff falls into, as well as some productivity mixed in there as well. Over time, I you know got turned on to the whole podcasting thing. I've loved listening to podcasts for you know a decade at this point, but I got into it. Boy, I think it was twenty. 2014 when I first got to to do my first episode as a guest on a podcast and wow that's great it's, it's a long it's it's a good time ago you know it's a early days of podcasting yeah and for for me it was it was kind of fun but I I tell you what my early mistake in podcasting was I overproduced the heck out of everything I was doing I would do four or five or six takes of you know, little little clips and try to cut them together, almost like I was producing a you know a tight TV show, rather than the you know, that nice, good conversational tone that comes with a lot of podcasts and is is great for that that medium. 
Yeah. So, so just on that, so do you feel that the blogging led into your podcasting as well? Was that a feeder and how you structured anything? Or is it really, you see them as really two quite distinct or separate mediums and how, how they're, they're used for communication? So I think they're, they're pretty, they're pretty distinct in how I can tailor the, the way I give the message. I, I try to keep these things conversational, but if I, if I try to, do some of the same things in writing that I do in a conversation like we're having here, Mark, it will it will become overly verbose and it'll be a little bit more unwieldy as written text. So I try to, it's interesting, my, my idea generation and the way I will put together an outline for what a podcast episode will cover, for what a blog post will cover, it's a very similar process for how I build that up. But the you know, digital, digital pen to paper versus the, you know, voice to digital audio file is a very different beast for me. Yeah. Yeah. So what about other types of writing? What's your experience there? So I, you know, I, when I was really young, you know, grade school, I did some creative writing, but for the most part, I, I've stuck to, you know, blogging as far as that's concerned. But the, the notable exception is I actually do, as as things to take me out of my day-to-day job, I'll do creative writing around... I, I do role, tabletop role-playing games, and I'm often the game master for role-playing games, which means I'm coming up with kind of the, the, the roots and the bones of the story that I'm going to lead people through or have this shared to- storytelling experience, which means I get to come up with a lot of cool ideas, put them out there for, for people to play with and, and see where things go, which is a, a lot of fun for me. Hey, that sounds incredible. So is this where like the game design comes in? Well, I tell you, so it, it certainly helps me there, especially like the with role-playing games, there's this continuum of how narrative are they versus how kind of crunchy are they? How many, you know, numbers-based rules are, are involved there? I tend to be more toward the, the narrative side of things, but it's always important to have some rules, you know, uh, holding you together so it's not just a complete exercise in, you know, make-believe, if you will. And, you know, for, for that, the, the very, you know, fun, one, one of the things I find very fun about gaming and, and other types of tabletop gaming is kind of looking at a set of rules, figuring it out, and coming up with a quick idea of how do I think I'm going to win this? What's my best strategy going to be, even if it's the first time I'm playing the game? And it's that kind of curiosity or creativity of of figuring that out that led into designing my own tabletop games. So I have like purchasable board games. No way. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. That, that's Yeah, so cool. I, I use a, a print on demand service so I didn't have to go and, you know, print a thousand copies and yeah, I've got uh, three of them out there. I've got one I'm working on kind of in the background that you know, it's probably call it a, maybe a late 2019 type of release. We'll see how things go. Okay, so can you talk about the ones that you, you know, I mean, I'm not, I have no problem plugging this. Can you tell me about uh, your, your current ones that you've, uh, you've got in market? Absolutely. So my, my first offering that I had was called, was called That's Mine, which was a competitive rock, paper, scissors based game for multiple players where somebody is always going to win. There's some betting and bluffing involved in what you're doing. And it's just a very quick, fun game. 
The second one I released is called Holiday Road. And Holiday Road is the competitive road trip game patterned after, loosely after the vacation movies with Chevy Chase and company. And you're competing against another player or another team to try to see the most best sites along various road trip paths that you can take. And then the third one is called Whistleblower, set in the dystopian future where a corrupt government has left their secrets and clues unguarded within the state house. And you have your opportunity to go in there, get the information and get out before getting caught. So so just let's back up the one game to the, the road trip one. Are you saying that like people, let's say, going on holiday in separate vehicles, you, each vehicle could have a game in play that's competing against the other car? It's not quite that literal in, in uh, how that Okay, so, so it's all on the board. Yeah, so it's truly a tabletop board game for that. And, you know, so part of the, the inspiration for that game is I'm, I'm not a very good artist as far as drawing is concerned. So I looked for where can I get images that sit in the public domain that are going to be interesting. And national landmarks are, and you know, national forests and monuments and that kind of thing are a fantastic source there because there are beautiful, wonderful pieces of artwork that you can get background on the places to be able to bring in. And then, you know, from a, from a design perspective, it's, taking that, condensing it down into, you know, a card's worth of information about each one of those sites. Wow, that's so, man, I'm so impressed. It's like a whole world, you know, just uh, I've not come across, uh, you know, when you're saying board games, I was like, is it Dungeons and Dragons or is it something, you know, like that? But you've actually created your entire, I love that. That's that's creativity at its finest, right? Creating new new ideas and things. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, tell me a bit about Toastmasters. Yes. So I have been a, a member of Toastmasters for about only, only officially about six years at this point. I went to my first meeting 18 years ago, but I was reluctant to join because I felt like, you know, I'm pretty good at this public speaking thing and, and what value is it going to drive for me? And then I realized it was a, a great venue to be able to, you know, sharpen my skills, continue to learn new skills and, you know, build an additional kind of social structure there. So that, that, that's that been a, a very fun diversion for me over, over the last, you know, handful of years. And, you know, what's, what's interesting to me about that is as, as somebody who is a more seasoned speaker, who's, you know, not, not a, a stranger to speaking in front of a group of, you know, a hundred, a thousand people, or, you know, a small, small group for a, a demo presentation of, you know, two to 10, I have a lot of experience there that I get to share with others. So I see these people who are really working hard at like being able to just stand up in front of a room and talk for five minutes, just them. And that's a really big deal. And, you know, I can, I can help be that audience, be that person of encouragement. And as they have questions, I can give good focused feedback on what it is that they're doing. And, and you know, for me, I, I often end up learning or remembering things that I, I hadn't even, you know, thought about or I can refocus on. So it, I, I end up getting something out of it too. Yeah, yeah. Man, that, that's incredible. Have you got a kind of a story that you could tell about 
somebody that, you know, came in in a shy, if you like, fearful state of public speaking and uh, a transformation journey? Do, can you kind of recall anyone to mind? You can use a fake name for them if necessary, but kind of, uh, you know, what you saw happen over that period of time? Yeah, I, so I will I will use a pseudonym, but I will I will tell a story about Ari, and Ari she she came into Toastmasters. She was not a native to the U.S., so there was a little bit of a, a language barrier to begin with, and then additionally she was you know taking a she was in a, a position sh- where she was going to have to give a regular presentation to other people. And if she wanted to be able to advance in her career, she needed to develop that skill. She came to Toastmasters and, you know, kind of kind of got over that that very first icebreaker speech is the very first one you give in Toastmasters. And that went it went pretty well for her. She was she was very anxious about it, but it went really well. A couple of speeches later, it was interesting because some of the feedback that we had gone through with her was around kind of the the word choice as well as her she she was often coming up with the right words but she was very focused or or very aware of the fact that it was taking her a moment or two to think of the right word and she was trying to trying to fill that in with other words and it just became very distracted and very filled with too much information or or it took away from the overall message and you know kind of played that back not not in the full group feedback but as kind of a a, a private feedback you know a little bit of you know hey notice that you're using you know this phrase an awful lot and and you know kind of went through the the steps of some ideas of how to change that and just pause and be quiet and be confident in that and i tell you the the last presentation that ari gave she she gave one on artificial intelligence of all things and it was it was a really compelling story and the the way that she told it and the the way that she used kind of that silence as a tool for her was really was really fun for me to see Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. You know, this is the longest intro sequence I've, I've ever had on a podcast. But do you know what? I'm just going to run with it because I, I really want to get your ideas and thoughts before we get into pre-sales on mentoring. Tell me kind of, you know, what you've done in this space and kind of what have you seen from a results perspective? Sure. So a couple of things on that. I mean, one, I I believe in both a kind of formal and informal mentoring relationships. So, you know, there's certainly formal ones. There's one through my alma mater, the University of Minnesota, that I participate in each year. You know, I get formally matched with a student and we kind of go through a, a set rubric. And that, that's that been very, very useful in, in my ability to hone and, and refine my my mentoring skills. And I think, you know, based on each student, they have their own different reasons for entering into it. But what's been more, you know, interesting in in the big picture for me is these less formal mentoring relationships that, you know, maybe start out as something formal, but then it just becomes a regular conversation that I keep and have with people and they'll come and ask questions and we get to talk through things. And 
you know, I, to me, I just I like helping to be that sounding board and and you know listen to people and throw out ideas without telling people what to do because a, a mentor shouldn't be telling you what to do. They should be, you know, listening and helping you think and, and generate ideas. At least that's that's how I like to to think of that. I have one person who. You know, I, I didn't really think of it as a, a mentor situation, but he, he came up with the term friend tour, so combining friend and mentor, which I thought that was a pretty fun term to have out there. So I, I like those types of mentorships as well. So have you done anything in the kind of your career space as in around, you know, business applications, anything like that in the kind of informal mentoring side of things? Yeah, I have. Well, so it, it started out as a as a formal one. But when I was in the, the partner channel, I had raised my hand as someone who wanted to help mentor folks on our pre-sales team. You know, so it, it kind of started out there as like, yeah, I'll do this. But there was no structure that was, you know, provided. There was no, you know, guidance for what, what that even meant. So it, it became, you know, a very, you know, informal check-in, looking at goal setting both within within the specifics of that role as well as just, you know, looking more broadly at life. Because if you don't have those those things within your career that align to where you want to be in life, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in a really tough spot, you know, or, or a, you know, hit a crossroads where you know you're you're making these hard choices between career and and passion. And you know, if if you can't align those and you don't know even what you're thinking about to try to align those, it can it can cause you know frustration later on. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a hard line to to walk, if you like. You know, I was saying before that, you know, I've been mentoring now for the last couple of months around 30 people around the world. And it's very hard to not, if you like, go too far over that line of getting into their life as opposed to this is, you know, my mentoring is all around Microsoft business applications and your career and stuff around that space. But you can't help it. You know, when When engaging with people, right, you're touching life and... There's, it's definitely, you know, not a sharp line if you like to walk. Yeah. And, you know, something that, that I do a lot in, in those types of situations is I, I will, I will suggest kind of some activities to go through that focus on, you know, overall life and direction. And that, that part is done not like with me right there. I mean, I, I say, you know, literally take this find an hour, go do these things, write it down. Don't think you're going to have to share it with me. You're welcome to. But unless you've thought through these things, we're not going to be able to effectively look at what your milestones in your career are going to be and and help set you know the the milestones of things that are going to happen in your life regardless of what action you take, you know, aging, family, you know, kind of key key milestones in your life of, you know, like when when you're able to have children versus not have children and those kind of things in, introduce these natural milestones and you can align career to like oh I don't want to be in a role where I'm traveling all the time when I have kids that are between certain ages but maybe when they get older I'm okay with traveling more and try to align those stages within career development to those things that are going to be important personally yeah 
Yeah. Well, this is so good. I mean, I definitely think I'll be having an, another conversation with you at a later date because there's so much I'd love to drill into there. But let's talk a bit about pre-sales. So, you know, one of the things the podcast focuses on is the Dynamics 365 practice or really now with, let's say, the Power Apps practice or the business applications practice, you know, a bit more broader. So you currently specialize in, uh, you know, pre-sales or you got recommended from your, you know, your broad pre-sales experience. And I understand you come from a bit of an architecture background, but can you explain kind of what pre-sales is as you see it? So not hypothetical, but as in tangible, what, what, what do you see it as? Absolutely. So, I mean, at its core, pre-sales is a, it's a support role. So you're not the person out finding the deals, but you're really charged with helping to drive deals forward. And that can involve a lot of things, but it, it generally falls into a few categories for me. One of them is research. You got to know who it is that you're going to be selling to. And there's a lot of things that in pre-sales you're going to focus on that the, I'll call it the relationship person, isn't necessarily going to focus on. There's presentation. And for me, this is you know important of driving the overall message of the presentation toward some sort of goal that we're that we're all that we're all going toward and then part of those presentations will often include demonstration so showing the actual software or how it would work or slides you know images videos what you know whatever that combination of assets might be in demonstrating how it's going to work mm -hmm. so kind of what do you love about it and what kind of motivates you to work in the space so, you know, I think what I what I really love about it is I love presenting and it offers a lot of opportunity to be presenting. It also gives me an opportunity or the excuse really to explore the platform. So, as somebody in pre-sales, I need to know where the application has been, where it is today, and where it's going and how it fits in with so many other things. So, you know, I'm business applications, but to do that effectively, I need to know when are we looking at Azure? When are we looking at ISV solutions that that will, you know, augment the capability? When do we when do we, you know, start having that conversation of building a a, you know, power app and driving that uh, down to the kind of that citizen developer maker level versus when does that get brought into something that's more centralized and you know kind of having the excuse to look at all of that i, I feel like i'm not limited mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so tell me about let's say you're two weeks out and a salesperson or account manager comes to you and says listen i need you to do a presentation that will involve a demo on you know let's say two to three weeks in the future from that point of understanding, you know, game time is happening at a certain point, what's your T-minus activities from that kind of live demo? Yeah, what kind of the, what are the steps you'd go through to make sure that when you walked in that room, you're going to play the best game you can play? Yeah. So the central thing, there's, there's one common starting point that I have for every presentation that I'm going to go into, and that is knowing who is going to be in the room that I'm presenting to, even at, whether it's a physical room or a virtual room, and why is it that those people are there? And both, you know, why, why have we been told they're there, but also why do they think they're there or why are they committing this time out of their life to be there? Because that, that central question and having a, a clear answer or at least, 
even if I don't have that specifically from from the horse's mouth, so to speak, but if we have an agreed upon understanding of this is why we think they're actually here, that's going to drive a lot of the decisions around what are we going to put together as a message? What are we going to build from a demonstration standpoint? What are we going to show as far as off-the-shelf assets versus having to build custom? And it all goes back to that question of who is my audience? So from there, once once I've identified that audience question, and it's rarely known to the degree that I, that I actually want it to be, so it, it takes some further investigation, it's going to fall into one of a few different categories. One is that they, they were in a situation where it is highly structured. Think of that like an RFP type of situation where there's a specific set of agenda items or use cases that we've been tasked with going through. There's another path that we can go down where you know we, we know there's a, a competitive nature to this. There are some known or, or pretty common industry use cases that we're going to go through. And then the third one is it could be very exploratory on their part. And depending on which of those categories things fall into, I'm going to take a, a, a different approach to each one of them. Right. What else? So... As we like, if we if we look at that, we started at one point. We broke out into three potential paths. There are a few common milestones along each of those paths that that will be there for me. One of them is making sure that we've identified the the reason and the role for each person who's going to be part of the presentation, and and making sure it's it's very easy, especially you know, you know we've we've all kind of seen, if we haven't participated in, probably heard about those meetings where we're backing up the bus with people to a meeting and, you know, gosh, why is why are all these people here? <laughs> are you talking about Microsoft demos? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Both. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've been there. <laughs> True, even before I was, I was part of Microsoft. But, you know, to me, if we can focus rather than Rather than trying to get coverage on every potential question or topic that could come up, let's be very specific about, okay, based on who we know is in the room, let's identify what the the right set of people is going to be and the roles that are going to make sense to that audience in how we're going to present our message. From there, we can assign roles of who's going to control the, the action as we go through the, the overall presentation, who's going to be responsible for you know, doing the, the different aspects of the demonstration. And that could be one or more demoers that, that do that, that activity. And then how are we going to engage with the audience and who's going to be kind of championing that, that interaction with the audience as part of it and understanding those roles and making sure that's clear is going to be an important checkpoint before we actually get to the final presentation flow. Because if we have those roles identified and we we know these are the ones we need to have, we're not trying to... We, we can make a lot of decisions about what's important to the presentation and the script based on you know, this, this audience analysis and who is going to be best to deliver it. And it cuts out a lot of decisions along the way and a lot of wasted time. And there's nothing I hate worse than like bringing in 20 people to a phone call 
to try to go by committee of what this is going to be because then you get, you know, 185 slides and it's going to be a six hour presentation. Let's figure out what they're going to care about first. Be thoughtful with people's time of who we're inviting. Give them a reason why on our side of how we're presenting, why they're going to be there. And then they get it and they have like some excitement around it rather than, yeah, I guess I'm going to go in this meeting, but I, I don't know why I'm there. But I guess I'll just, you know, sit in the back and check email. Yeah. So so you've mentioned role a few times there, and I just want to get a clarification. Are you talking about role as in title or role as in they're a buying influencer or decision maker? Or are you talking about, let's say, their demo persona, which might be that they really want a competitor's product in there and they're in there to kind of lay some landmines for you to catch you out to they don't want your technology period that's what i say what role because i see them as quite distinct roles and when you when you're going in kind of how much information do you have around those different role personas that an individual has outside of their you know what's on their business card or linkedin profile yeah so i to, to answer the the one of the aspects of the hat, I want to know all of those things. the The more I can know that person, what their what their background is, you know, do I see that there's someone who's probably used this their, their existing system a bunch? Are they someone who was probably involved in their their previous decision around around the platform they're using? Are they new to the organization, and you know, what do we know about where they just were and what it is that they might be familiar with or might be using? Those those kind of things help identify how how friendly somebody is going to be on the in the meeting. But then the other side of it is, you know, there's we often within a meeting where we're going to be doing a you know demonstration, there's typically a range of of people. You know, there'll be some folks from IT, there'll be some people from different lines of business within the organization. There'll be some specialists that get that get thrown in there that have job titles that don't easily align to something that, you know, that would be a, a, a common title. This is especially, you know, as I've been more and more into healthcare, titles are so varied <laughs> in, in what they actually mean. So there's some, you know, confirmation and understanding of the audience and, and working with, you know, who has relationships with them and can help identify, you know, even that type of role of what people have in the organization. So we can we can focus on where it fits because you know for you look at a business application solution and it if if we're looking at something that's going to be siloed to one and only one team it's probably not the the right deal to be looking at or we should be helping to educate them on why they need to look beyond just their primary team with what they're going to do you know it's it's the way the platform is designed for one thing. And it's also just the nature of connectedness that we have in the business application space. If it's another silo, that's not going to be very exciting. They probably have silos. Why would they replace one silo with another? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. What do, what do you do in the scenario where you walk into the meeting, you can see, you know, predominantly everybody in there are going to be people that are not going to be working on the end product. So in other words, it's all a management type level decision. And you'd, you find there's nobody in their decision making process that's actually the individuals and people are going to work with the technology at the end game. Do you, do you highlight as a risk or how do you handle that? 
So yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly highlight that as as a risk, but there's also there's also some opportunity there if if we can make an assumption that you know if we're talking with a management layer and and I'll assume for this case it's a a middle management layer, they're pinched in the middle because they have a, a team below them that are actually going to use the system and they're going to if they if they make a decision for you know the the you know Microsoft Business Application Platform Plus you know they're they're going to have to be able to defend that situation they're also in the middle where they're going to have to sell that the value of that up the chain to their leadership to be able to get funding there's a lot of room for them to be nervous about making any decision and and often one of our biggest competitors in any deal isn't you know the the other you know main business application platform you know cloud based business application platform out there but it's really no decision because because they are caught in the middle so when you look at it through that perspective there's this amount of empathy that you can have for the situation they're in because they want to make their team's lives better they need to figure out how do we go and secure the funding that we need to be able to put that into place and put together a plan for how long it's going to take, what the milestones are going to be. And their their expertise is not business applications. Their expertise is, you know, hopefully managing their team or growing a growing a revenue number or managing, you know, customer satisfaction as as part of it. Like this isn't their day job. So we have a huge opportunity to help them. So the discussion and the presentation and the demonstration is more about kind of giving those vignettes of how it how it makes obviously for the the front lines how it makes their lives easier for that person in the middle it focuses on how they can how they can drive to what their you know key metrics that they're trying to drive to are but also giving the ammunition to go to that leadership and and get you know secure the the funding the timeline and so forth to be able to make this happen yeah no that is so good that's so good there's so many more questions i want to drill into here but just one last one on the the pregame do you do any type of either phone calls and or kind of in person interviews you know if if it's a high stakes scenario we're in to get a real read for the individuals or do you first eyeball them you know when you walk into the room or get on a a webinar or something like that so that's that's a fair question i so for me i i always want to have some sort of conversation or some sort of interaction with them beforehand if i can if i can get you know, even a, a half hour's worth of time and start to get a read of who it is that we're, we're actually going to be in front of, that will be helpful. Depending on the the size of the, the opportunity and the deal, there may be multiple, you know, sessions of doing discovery that are, yeah, that are, you know, involved in, in trying to do that both on the, the customer side, as well as seeking advice from other resources, either in Microsoft or with a partner organization that has worked with this customer before to kind of have that, have that picture of kind of who they, who they are, what they care about, what they're doing. And, and in the, in the context of whatever primary research I've been able to do, you know, the, the least, the least, at very least, you know, stuff through LinkedIn or, or press releases online at best, you know, face to face, having met with them, depending on deal size, that's not always practical to do that. So you, you have these, you know, kind of middle, middle layers that are there. 
Yeah, so true. This is great. This is great. Can you tell me about now, you know, the rubber hits the road, the demoing part. Tell me about your demo strategy, you know, which is naturally part of a wider presentation, but kind of what do you do to to get your demos on point? Are they more generic or are they, you know, totally tailored to their scenario or do you just go for an industry based? So you're kind of like in the ballpark. Tell us about your, you know, the demo part. Yeah. So I, I have to, I have a confession to make. I'm, I'm guilty at spending way too much time personalizing demonstrations. I know it's a, it's actually a shortcoming that I have because I, I end up spending too much time on that and, and burning midnight oil to do it. But, you know, it, it really depends on the stage in the deal. You know, oftentimes it's, so there's, there's this common perception that is, is very frustrating to me that, you know, especially since I have, you know, been been graced with good feedback on my demos in the past that like, oh, yeah, if you just get in there, he'll do a great demo and, you know, it'll move the deal forward. And you know what? The the inverse of that is absolutely true. A bad demo can absolutely halt a deal. But but I will say that even even the very best demonstration does not have somebody signing a piece of paper at the end of that meeting. It, it, it just it doesn't work that way. And no matter how good and how tailored and how perfect that demonstration is, that, that is not the thing that is making them buy right then. It's, it's a million little things that are going to happen along the way. Now, that being said... That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, well, and there's there's an important thing to keep in mind, though, is that a lot of little tailoring things that you're doing within the course of a, a presentation and specifically a software demonstration can lead to how people perceive what you're presenting. That's true both in the, the language that you use. Is that, am I using the right industry language? You know, sometimes I I make the comment, I don't really care what environment I'm demoing out of, but I need to know what what term they put on these different things. You know, to use a, a very generic term, do they actually call them opportunities or do they call them deals? And those types of things, yes, it can say opportunities at the top, but if I'm going through a demo the right way, I say... And, you know, I wake up in the morning, I, you know, I take a look here at the deals that I have that are at risk so I can make sure I take action on those today. And that's, that puts somebody in the seat if the, the term deals makes sense to them. Now, I'm also, I'm also focusing on, you know, I'm, I'm not waking up and logging into a system to look at all my deals. I have ones that have been brought to me using some level of intelligence. That's, that's just implied in that language of the you know i the, the deals that are at risk you know, the deals i have that are at risk so you know how did they get there and these are all details that i can i can drill into as we get into more you know detailed scenarios but additionally around the language side of it using that that language that kind of transfers them into the seat i am doing this as though i am a member of their team so it's not that you can do this or you can do that but rather as i in this role do this i do this thing and it's it's very funny so i have a background in in implementation and delivery and the the concept of how you do something like write a user story gosh if i have well-formed user stories 
those are perfect for me in setting up demo scenarios as a fill in the blank for the role. I can blah, blah, blah. So that blah, blah, blah. It, it fits very well, but it, it tailors that demo scenario. If you know what that general user story is going to be, you can turn it into a compelling, a more compelling demo scenario. Yeah, so true. So true. Can you give me an example of where you've walked out of the room feeling like a rock star? <laughs> so there was, a, there was an opportunity I had. It was back in 2013, 14 Gosh, yeah, I think it was 2014. It was a very, very strategic deal that we were going after. We had an opportunity to present to, uh, actually, of all things, it was a room full of that middle management layer. There were about 500 of these folks who were brought together for a sales conference for a few days in Vegas. And one of the things that they were going to do is they were going to get a demonstration of the Microsoft Dynamics business application platform, which, you know, for, for an audience like that, especially in Vegas, they're probably not really looking forward to that session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we, we did a, like, there were a few things that we, we layered into that to make it engaging, to make it fun. One is actually on the, on the know your, your audience side of it. I, I mingled at some of the, the prior events I, I was presenting on day two, I did a lot of mingling and I tested out different, you know, language, talking through the scenarios, getting feedback on where, you know, these people as the managers saw their teams struggling to be able to hear how do they actually talk about these things. So, you know, weave some of that in. We also saw that they were using the product Sprinkler to monitor social engagement. They were trying to get people to use hashtags and like tweet about different things throughout the, the various sessions. So we introduced a hashtag game as part of the presentation. So I wove that into like the bottom of all my slides had specific hashtags on there. And it was as people were seeing something that resonated with them or someone on their team, you know, they, they tweet with that hashtag, you know, with whatever it was. So we got to see real-time feedback. They actually had a screen off to the side that Sprinkler had put up where it was, it was showing, you know, kind of that, that term trending up and we could see kind of like what people were excited and how it was going to impact their team. And it was, you know, 500 people, something like that. And, you know, it was a, about a 45 minute to an hour session. I think I got about uh, an hour and a half of sleep the night before with all the, the updates I made from what I learned. And, you know, it's, it's also Vegas. So that may have played a role <laughs> as it would. Boy, that was, it was a, it was a, you know, everything came together on that one. And while it wasn't signed that day, we did win the deal. So that was a, that was a blast. Well. Wow. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Listen, we're running out of time. I've got 12 more questions to go, and that's even before I get on to quick fire. So I'm going to sideline those 12 questions and get on to quick fire. And these quick fire are not uh, necessarily about business dynamics, Microsoft, anything like that. So when I uh, ask you about them, you don't have to give me answers, if you like, tailored to that industry, more about what you're into personally. So first of all, what books, blogs, podcasts do you recommend most to people and why? Absolutely. I'll start with books. The one that I recommend the most to people is just a fun fiction book. It's called Ender's Game. There's a movie made of that recently, or last handful of years. 
just a just a fantastic, really fun science fiction story. The other one that I will comment on from a, a fiction standpoint is called The Name of the Wind. The Name of the Wind? The Name of the Wind. Yeah, it's by uh, Patrick Rothfuss. And it's part of it. it so it's a, a fantasy book. And it is the first in a what will be a trilogy or more of books. Can think of it kind of like in the the vein of a Lord of the Rings type of thing. But just the the way he has constructed these different scenes and phrases and brought things together. It it's the first time in you know a long time where I sat down. I knew an exciting chapter was coming up. I cleared everything off. I turned off my phone. I read that chapter. I put the book down and I just sat there and thought about it. To anybody who's wondering what chapter that is, I won't spoil anything, but it is the pipes scene, getting the trying to get the pipes. So for, for anybody who's who's curious and has read it or wants to read it. Very good. I always use this as uh, ideas to add to my book list. What's your favorite app and why? And I'm talking about mobile phone type app. If I was to look at your battery settings, which app would show it choose the most of your power? Yeah, that would probably be Podcast Addict. It is a podcast app for Android. I listen to a heck of a lot of podcasts, and that has been my best one. Close second as far as top app would be one that I've used for about the last four months at this point called Dailyo, D-A-Y-L-I-O. And it is a mood and activity tracking app to be able to look at and, and try to correlate what are the things that, are, that you're doing and how does that impact the overall mood that you have. It's been a very, very good one for me. Very interesting. I'll be checking them out. Tell me the best purchase under $100 you've ever made. Best purchase under $100 that I've ever made. Can't, can't be food, can't be a bottle of wine, too generic. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, is, this one is definitely like a, a you know, tech guy thing, but it's called the Hutu Tripmate. The Hutu Tripmate. And the specific model number is the TM05. And what, what this device is, it, I, I consider it to be something that anybody in who does software demonstrations should have in their bag. So what it does at a, at a high level is it's a, a device to be able to create your own personal wireless network, to be able to connect as many of your own devices that you want to at once, and they can all share a single internet connection. So if you're going to a customer site where you don't know what their network situation is going to be, you can have your own personally managed private network that you can use, and you can connect it to a wired connection that they give you, a wireless connection they give you, or even as a you know backup, a MiFi type of device. And that way, you're not you're not trying to fight whatever network restrictions they might have out there. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Who do you recommend as a guest for the podcast in the future? This podcast. So have you have you had Leah Bowling on before? No. Yeah, Leah is was a uh, partner in crime from a pre pre sales perspective, and she's just all in all, you know, awesome person. She has, if people listening have seen her, it, it's probably from the fifty tips in fifty minutes session at the CRM user group summit. I think she's done that maybe seven years standing right now. So yeah, an ever ever popular one, but she's she's phenomenal. 
Excellent. I'll get you to introduce me to her. Matthew, it's been awesome to have you on the podcast. Before we go, if people want to find you online and kind of follow what you're up to, where can they find you? Absolutely. Uh, The easiest way is through my website, which is connectingthedata.com. You can also find me on Twitter at MC Anderson. You've been listening to the Dynamics 365 show on the Business Application Podcast. Please consider subscribing to the podcast on any great podcast player. Your host was Business Applications MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 Guy. For full show notes or to discuss anything covered on this show, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash 66. Until next time.